And now I invite you to take your Bible to open it to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we'll read the first 17 verses, and if you're using one of the Bibles that's provided there in the pew, this is on page 759. Uh, At the beginning of the year, we're uh, going through the Gospel of Matthew, and with a a focus that it's it's eventually uh, within the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus teaches uh, his disciples to pray that God's kingdom would come, and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That wasn't just part of a prayer that he gave. That's actually how we understand the entirety of his coming, that he was the new king, the king of the Jews and the hope of the Gentiles who was born to this world uh, to build a new kingdom that anyone and everyone could begin to follow him and receive the blessings of what it's like to, to know him as our king and to experience life in his kingdom. And throughout the gospel, as Jesus taught us to pray for that, there is much that the scripture shows us through Jesus' example and then also his teaching about how to experience that kingdom. And so we're going through the gospel of Matthew with a focus on what it says in regards to prayer, believing that it is through a deeper prayer life that we will experience uh, more fully the goodness of what God has for us and the realization of his kingdom coming and his will being done in our lives and in our homes and in our community. And so this is what we read now about what happened to Jesus right after he was baptized. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that concludes our reading. And there, Jesus is now saying what John the Baptist in chapter 3 had been saying, which is, again, announcing 
that the kingdom is at hand. It's accessible. It's here. It's, it's confronting us. We have to respond in some way to the reality that this new king has been born and this kingdom is coming. <clears throat> and it's amazing that even in Jesus's life, after for him, his baptism, uh, if you weren't with us last week, after he was baptized, it described for us in chapter three that the heavens opened up and that the the voice of the Father spoke his good pleasure over his Son. And it was a, a happy occasion, a, a joyful one, the, the public announcement that this is the one that we've been waiting for. And if in our lives we think that uh, when those moments come, that they just sort of, we hear sort of the climax of something and then say, and then they were happily ever after. And then everything goes good from there, we're a bit thrown off then when we realize that one, for, for most of us, for all of us in life, there isn't usually a happily ever after moment. That as long as we live, there's a mixture of joy and sorrow, blessing and challenge. And so for Jesus himself to go from this public proclamation that he's here, get ready, everybody pay attention, and then to recognize that from that, he goes immediately into the wilderness. And this is not by accident. It said for us at the beginning of chapter 4 that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. And so there's an intentionality in this part. Jesus has done nothing wrong. He's just been declared publicly as the Messiah we have been waiting for. And that same Spirit that was descended upon him in his baptism is the one directing his steps. And so one of the things that we learn as we read through this is everyone's faith experiences testing. Everyone's faith experiences testing. That is a theme throughout Scripture. There isn't an option for any of us to simply come to a place of having faith and then never experiencing that faith challenged. Everyone's faith experiences testing. In the Old Testament, you might think of most famously uh, the person of Job, who was, as we're introduced to him, a, a noble person living a good life, experiencing abundance in his family, in his finances, in almost every way. And actually, because he was experiencing the goodness of those things, that eventually his faith experienced a time of testing. Uh, it is, though, I think, a very natural response for us in times of testing to wonder, am I the only one being tested this way? Why am I having to go through this? Or what did I do wrong that I am going through this? And there are times that we go through hard times because we do bad things. That's uh, a possible uh, dynamic. But it is just as possible that we go through times of testing and we go through hard things because we're doing the right thing, because we're actually trying to live out our faith, that now our faith is being tested. And we need to remind ourselves of this. As we look at one another, faith for us is dynamic. There isn't like, well, we have it, and either you have it or you don't. But for all of us who have it, there's a fluctuation in it. <laughs> that today we might be experiencing it at one level, and another day we might be experiencing it at another level that for every one of us, our faith is tested. You could take out the word, and uh, the word faith and substitute a lot of other words that, again, would be just good to say out loud. Everyone's marriage experiences testing. 
Everyone's parenting experience is testing. Everyone's work life and vocation experience is testing. Everyone's family relationships experience testing. Everyone hears something that they have to decide, oh, am I going to respond in kind? <laughs> or am I going to try to diffuse the situation and calm it down? That, that it is normal for each and every one of us to experience a, a time or a period of testing in the good things that God has given us. That we aren't alone in that, that we should be able to find support and encouragement in that. And so Jesus, it says, goes for 40 days and for 40 nights, and this significant testing is going to come his way. Not because he did anything wrong. He's the perfect son of God. But even his faith is going to go through this time for our sake of testing that we then get to look on. Now, it tells us that in that time that he chose in the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And here again, something is revealed that is shared throughout Scripture, that just like everyone's faith experiences testing, anyone's faith can be strengthened through fasting. So everyone goes through testing, but any one of us can actually experiencing, can experience a strengthening of our faith through fasting. Fasting wasn't very common or, th or thought of or talked about uh, for me growing up, um, and so it, it wasn't something that I thought of as normal or regular and kind of put it in the category of only really, really super Christians fast or, or in really special circumstance. And surely what we're reading about what's happening in Jesus' life is unique. But as the Gospel of Matthew unfolds, you'll see that fasting and prayer are connected. And in Scripture, every time people are fasting, it is fasting in order to be praying. Uh, we might fast for different reasons. There are some times uh, where we're just advised to fast for, for health reasons. I still can't quite figure out intermittent fasting. Like that became a craze and people were telling me about it and I was like, I don't understand. Everybody fasts between meals. <laughs> and if you could help me understand it, like help me understand it. I maybe could snack a little bit less between meals, and so if that's the thing, I get it, and I, I can try to do that. But we might hear fasting in, in, in other categories, but in Scripture, fasting always has this purposefulness of praying. And it shouldn't be just for super special people. Any one of us, if this is not a habit or a rhythm for us, can make it a regular habit and a rhythm. This is for Anyone. We might do it different ways, but our faith can actually be strengthened through it. At the funeral yesterday, it was such a powerful test, and the whole funeral was powerful, as um, many shared about Mix Sobey's life and his influence, but his oldest daughter then shared very practically that there were multiple times where she was facing a crisis in her life, and she heard her dad say, I'm going to fast and pray for you, that you would come to a sense of peace on the decision that you're going to need to make at multiple points in her life and to hear that beautiful testimony and for her to share it in tears uh, in front of a group of people yesterday was incredibly convicting that yeah anyone can do this and we can do this for ourselves and we can do this uh, for other people but if Jesus took the time 
to fast and make it a priority, who of us should then think, well, I can just ignore it and I don't, I don't really need to do it? If there is something good in it, it should cause all of us to lean into it and say, uh, what is it that's here? What's going on? Because I submit to you, Jesus choosing to fast for 40 days and 40 nights was not himself becoming weaker over those 40 days, but being strengthened in a whole different way so that when the test came, he was ready to go. And when you see the strengthening uh, ability and power that it gives, it's an invitation for all of us, anyone and every one of us to say, well, how can I incorporate that more in my life? If prayer is going to be a greater emphasis and focus uh, in my life, how often will that include fasting and praying? So here's a, a way to think about fasting. Fasting is withholding something good to take hold of something greater. Fasting is intentionally withholding something good from yourself so that you can take hold of something greater. If we bring it back to nutrition, uh, you know, if your doctor is saying maybe you should have a few less donuts and cookies or something like that, that's just good advice. You, you, you can't really fast from that. That's just uh, obedience to say, okay, maybe I should have a little bit of less dessert, and especially probably all of us after the holiday season uh, could do a little bit more of that. But fasting is saying, no, 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 I'm actually, uh, usually you're skipping the whole of breakfast and the whole of lunch or days worth of what is otherwise good for you. And so it's not that it's bad, but you're saying I'm going to withhold from myself something so that I can get something else greater. And so that could be a variety of things. Most often in scripture, it includes food, intentionally withholding food. We might have an application that includes food, but it could also include other things. But the reason that we become open to this is because just like there's all kinds of danger that comes in our lives when we have no food and no shelter and no water, Scripture is also clear that there are also dangers when we have too much food and too much stuff and too much of anything. And if we think there's only dangers in a lack of stuff and there's no dangers in the excess of stuff, we're, we're going to trip up often. But scripture tells us there's a ditch on both sides of this road. And so even as a parent of young kids, you know, if you just say to your kids, like, you know, fruit is good for you, and then they, like, devour a whole bowl of fruit, and you're like, oh, wait a minute, your tummy's not going <laughs> to feel very good if you eat too much of it. Like, you need a little bit of this, and you need a little bit of this, and a little bit of that. And so even good things, you have to pay attention and not have way too much of a good thing. Now here, it becomes really, really tricky that if you and I were to ask each other, so how much do you think is too much? I can't answer that question for you, and you can't answer that question for me. But hopefully, if we want to support one another, we can recognize, but it's possible for us to indulge in too much of a good thing. And so, at times, periodically, preparing for the times of testing, if we intentionally learn how to withhold the things that are good from us so that we can take hold of things that are greater. 
Um, it's sort of like building in the quizzes before the tests <laughs> that get us ready for those moments that we can learn, wow, we really can do without a lot of things that the world says, like, you have to have. And we might be able to have them at times, we might be able to enjoy them at times, but we can also be living testimonies to say, there are so many other things that people stress about and worry about, and we don't really need them. We all could do better off without them. And we could spend more time enjoying one another if we weren't also consumed by all those other things. And so what are some of the good things that maybe take up a lot of our time and energy that therefore often when we have too much of something, it numbs us. It, it slows us down. It dulls our senses that we are not as alert or as attentive to the things that we need. And so when I think of fasting, two words that come to my mind are one, focusing. And so we withhold something good and the something greater that we get is a, an ability to focus on one main thing. And we know the importance of focusing. If any one of you to say, I'm just having a really hard time focusing, you'd say, oh, that means like you're probably not able to get almost anything done. <laughs> if you're having a hard time focusing at home while you're doing things or at school while the teacher's teaching or at work, if you're having a hard time focusing, you're going to be struggling in that experience. So how do you take steps to be able to focus on one thing? And in prayer, it's focusing on God. How do you have communion with God and not be interrupted by the obligations of a day or even the cravings in your stomach that you can really just focus on him and so focusing and strengthening we see that in Jesus that here the devil comes to him and he tempts him in these pretty profound ways and the, the word in verse 3 for tempter is, is the word that we would use for the devil that this isn't a, a demon coming this is this is a big battle that's about to, to come before him. And Jesus has this intentional time of fasting, focusing on his Father, focusing on what the mission is, being strengthened by it, so that when the devil offers him when the very thing that his own body is saying it wants, he can say, no, 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 I'm not going to give in to your way. I'm not going to take the shortcut to what you want me to do. I'm going to continually honor my heavenly father i'm going to continually do what it is that i have come to do and so in that vein when we look at this chapter we see jesus's whole life was sacrificial obedience for our salvation he didn't just decide on the last week of his life that he would be willing to make a sacrifice for you and for me but the whole of his life was a sacrifice for you and for me he could withhold from himself what otherwise belonged to him. There's nothing wrong with having food. There's nothing wrong, actually, to all the kingdoms of the world belong to him. Any of the things that are presented to him in this temptation are things that he could rightly take. But it was our Savior who was saying, I, I don't want any of those things the wrong way. I've come on a mission that his heavenly father sent him on. 
and he had to pass the tests all along the way for you and for me. And he was willing to do it. And we should be amazed when we contrast this with the way the Bible opens of a story in the garden. We learn our first parents and Adam and Eve, they were placed in a beautiful garden where they had access to everything but one thing. And they couldn't obey for long. And they took the one thing that God said, you don't need it. You can have all these other things. You don't also need this, so don't touch this. And they took the one thing when they were surrounded by abundance. And our Savior, surrounded by scarcity, (laughs) filled with hunger, wouldn't take anything that would take him away from saving you and me. That's how much he loves you. That's how great a test he was willing to pass. There was nothing that was going to get him off track. He was focused. He was strengthened for you and for me. And so even if we think about, maybe I should ask more questions about fasting and think of how to incorporate it in my life, and is that breakfast on Tuesday or is that dinner on whatever? Whatever those thoughts are, we could miss the whole point to say, that, that would be good for you. You could, be, you could experience greater levels of focus and greater strength in your spiritual walk. But don't lose sight of the joy that's yours in the fact that Christ did everything for you. Go forward in the freedom that he loved you this much, that he was not going to reject his heavenly father. He was not going to bow down and worship anybody else. He was going to do everything that was necessary for our salvation. And in that joy, we can all take our own baby steps to say, now Christ, help me become a greater follower of you. Help me become strengthened in my own faith. Help me be less distracted by other things so that I can just be in awe and wonder at times at how good and how great it is to be a child of yours. Don't you want to experience that at a deeper level? Consider times intentionally of fasting and praying to know your Savior better and better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for how it reveals the Savior's love for us. that nothing could get him off track or nothing could get him to change his mind. That Satan coming himself, quoting and misquoting scripture to him could not bring down your one and only son and our savior. And we thank you that you were willing to do everything that was necessary for us to have hope that you give us the freedom and the joy to know that our sins can be forgiven for all the times that we do fail and all the times that we are distracted, that we can come back to you. That as soon as you passed that test, you, you went forward and continued to shine the light in dark places so that we who are lost and we who are lonely, we who are hungry can cry out to you and find salvation in you. 
And so we pray that you would continue to draw us to yourself. Help us to experience you more fully. Help us to focus on you in greater and greater ways so that in our times of testing, we can go from strength to strength. In Jesus' name we pray.